we're going beyond the whistle on what matters now more than ever in your recruiting with Dan Tudor of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. You are listening to Beyond the Whistle, the podcast that takes basketball coaches beyond the X's and O's to help you grow your network, make a plan for your career, and maximize your influence. Beyond the Whistle is brought to you by McCant Sports, a career management and consulting firm for college basketball coaches. Learn more at McCantSports.com. Welcome to Beyond the Whistle. I'm your host, Odell McCants, and thank you for listening. When we all found out college sports seasons would be canceled because of the current pandemic, I knew immediately that I needed to have our guest on the show as soon as possible. Because in addition to seasons being canceled, travel bans were put in place by institutions, Recruiting restrictions were put in place by the NCAA with no on-campus visits, no off-campus visits. And now with every type of group event canceled, there will be no spring recruiting evaluation events and may be extending into the summer, at least in some parts of the country. And for how long, we do not know. So how do you as a coach and as a program manage recruiting the lifeblood of every program during this unprecedented time? And when it comes to creating and executing a strategic recruiting plan, There's no one better than Dan Tudor of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. If you've not already, I encourage you to listen to my previous episodes with Dan, Episode 9, A Strategic Recruiting Process, and Episode 13, Get Control of Your Recruiting Process. So, Dan, welcome back to Beyond the Whistle. Hey, Odell. Great to be with you. I'm sad about the circumstances we're going to be talking about, but it's, it's still great to talk. Yeah, and Dan, you're on for the third time, I think, which makes you a regular. Awesome. That's good. It's a hat trick. I love it. Yeah, now I just need to produce episodes more regularly. And you know, you know, Dan, that's a major fo- focus of mine during this time because I I truly believe that you know, if if we're healthy during this, we as individuals, if we don't come out of this uh, with a new skill, uh, better at what we do, or our organization's better, then we've really wasted a time when the whole world is kind of on pause, and we've got nothing but time to get better. No question. I mean, and that's something that I hear a lot of coaches at least uh, talking about doing during this time, because, of course, the main complaint from a college coach, college athletic director, pretty much anybody in college athletics is, ah, I'm so busy. It's a 24-7 job and I don't have time. And, and now you have time. And so why do you see coaches that are taking advantage of it and making making the lemonade out of the lemons and and getting better and learning skills or catching up on something that they needed to catch up on. Um, but yeah, the, as you outlined in, in the way you introduced our talk, there's a lot of, there's a lot of big mountains ahead to climb and figure out what uh, kind of how to maneuver through this. If you're, if you're a college program, whether you're a big one or, or it's certainly a small one, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting time for everybody. I think. And what are the challenges that you're hearing from your clients and you're seeing other programs facing right now? Um, yeah. And so just, you know, real quick leading into that, uh, the, the work that we do with, with programs is uh, on the coach side, we get, um, uh, we get to work with coaches and developing the recruiting language and the recruiting campaign and outreach and, and help them execute that. And on the administrator side, we kind of uh, talk and and consult with them on sort of the bigger picture, future direction of the program from a message and a brand standpoint. So, so um, what I'm hearing from each group is that kind of like what you outlined, we don't know where to go. We don't know what's happening. And I described it in conversations that I've had and some of the podcasts that, that we've done as that there's a paralysis that you know you see this happen and it happened rather quickly and i think there was almost a disbelief that it was happening because it just doesn't happen in the us like we don't we don't see pandemics roll through i mean it's been 100 years since the last one and we we just you know we take normal life for granted and when it hit i think there was a one or a 7 to 10 day period that coaches were just sort of shocked like wait what am i, I got to go home now i have to do all this out of my house and What's Zoom? I got to figure out how to use this thing called Zoom, and uh, we have to do video meetings. And what about all the campus visits scheduled? And so, whenever that was happening and unfolding, you just saw a lot of paralysis. And 
Now I think you're starting to see coaches come out of that and say, okay, look, we don't know what the future is, but we have to act on on uh, sort of a normal plan of action and control what we can control, which is what? It's your recruiting class. And it's the it's preparing for the 2021, 22, 23 seasons, depending on the sport. And they're trying to figure out ways to do that. So I think uh, a little bit like when you kick an anthill and the ants scatter around and try to figure out what's going on. And after a couple of minutes, they settle down and they coordinate work and they start rebuilding the anthill. And that's a little bit what I see going on on the sort of on the, the coach side of, um, of the equation. Uh, the athletic director side, I think there is just there's more of the unknown because, of course, they're dealing with budgets. And what is this going to do to donations? What is this going to do to state funding if we if we were a school to get state funding? Uh, we don't have you – know, what if our football team can't play in the fall? Then what does that do to the rest of the athletic department? Because football and certainly basketball uh, drives a lot of the revenue that um, – that that funds the rest of, of sports. And you, know, you look at even a big program like LSU, I was reading in Sports Illustrated, their athletic director saying, you know, we you know, have all our sports here, 18 of them lose money. And so what's funding it? It's the basketball programs and it's the football programs. And if you don't have football, then you have some really um, probably dire circumstances ahead in terms of what athletics at the college level looks like. So that's what I'm hearing. The conversations are about let's control what we can control right now and figure out as best we can what the future looks like. But uh, that's that's the unknown part. Does this does this thing? So here we are in early April recording this. Does this thing end at the end of April? Does it go on through June or July? Well, I mean, those are two big differences. And that's the unknown right now because I think when it ends then dictates when everything can get back up and running again. Um, so that's, I think what college coaches and administrators are looking at trying to figure out. Have you gotten a sense of any anxieties from high school students who are being rec- recruited in their families? I mean, I, I, my, my emotions first as a former athlete where I felt so bad for athletes whose whose seasons uh, ended, especially those seniors. And now I'm thinking, well, if I were a high school junior, let's say, uh, looking into the spring recruiting evaluation period, events are gone. Or if I'm an unsigned uh, senior right now, I'm thinking basketball, you know, uh, there, there are so many local and regional events for unsigned uh, seniors to, uh, right. to be evaluated. Have you got, have you had, have you been able to sense any type of anxieties or what the thoughts or I mean, if feelings are from that end of the relationship? That's a, that is a, a fantastic question and a good way to look at it because of course, everybody's affected by this. Certainly the colleges, the coaches, administrators, and, and as you point out, the athletes, and again, you rightly observe that their spring and right now early summer events are really, well, they're either canceled or very much up in the air and so the coaches can't go and see them, but also they can't go out and be seen by the coaches. So you have this really interesting phenomenon that's happened in the last two weeks, again, as we record and talk about this in, in early April of 2020, that uh, a lot of kids that were on the fence, it's between these other two two or three schools, or they knew they were probably going to lean towards committing to one school, but they just wanted to take one more visit or play two more tournaments to see who else sees me. And you know how that goes with athletes. They want to... They want to explore all the options and it drives coaches crazy, but that's what they want to do. And when this all hit and when things started getting shut down, what we saw was almost, you know, this panic buying. Uh, I, I likened it in one of the articles that we did. Uh, I likened it to the toilet paper shortage that all of us kind of lived through as adults and we're going shopping and where's all the toilet paper? Well, for some reason, Toilet paper was the first thing start people started buying, and people saw other people buying it on Facebook and Instagram, and talked heard their friends talking about it. So they went out and bought a bunch, and there was this gigantic shortage of toilet paper, and it was panic buying. It was this psychological thing called into question whether or not I was going to be able to get that uh, in the, uh, the the future. It was a term called availability bias that I'm gonna I'm going to 
you know, try to get more of what's available now because it might not be available in the future. To apply that to the athletes, they saw that things were were up in the air and their events were canceled. Oh my gosh, who else is going to commit to that school? I've been holding off. I probably shouldn't have. So coach, here I am. I want in. I'll take that offer. And so we saw a string of immediate commitments from kids that otherwise may have played things out until the end of April or into May. Um, so that's that's the first thing. I think the other side of it is for the athletes, they're trying to make decisions uh, with very little information, really, because we know that that their, their focus usually in a normal recruiting setting is I want to get a feel for the campus. And I want to get to know the team. Want to see you know face to face? How does the coach seem to treat me? In other words, it's based on a feeling, and we've talked about that in some of those past episodes. Uh, what we see now is that kids are still trying to figure that part of it out, but they can't get with the team. Maybe it's on a Zoom call, a group call, or something, but they can't be around with the team and hang out with them, and they can't go onto campus to get a feel. They can't really get face to face with the coach, and yet they're still being asked to make a commitment because the, the college process marches on. Uh, so they're having to really scramble as well. And it's what I think it's going to do is you're going to see kids make decisions just for the sake of making a decision. And then in a year or two have to rethink that and enter the transfer portal, which that that's going through the roof that there's a lot of kids uh, entering the transfer portal, which why is that? Well, it's because, we have a time of uncertainty and they're reevaluating, wait a minute, what's important? Maybe I want to be closer to home. Maybe if something happens, I don't want to be 2000 miles away. Uh, or this is my chance to just sort of press the reset button. And in the same way that families are sort of discovering, Hey, it's sort of nice to have family game night, or I'm going to take more walks in the neighborhood. And uh, I'm going to maybe reevaluate how much I pour into my life at the office after this. I think kids are doing the same thing. They're saying, well, wait a minute, is it, do I need the big school? Maybe I'll go to this local, more regional local school that's a little smaller um, or you know, making decisions like that. So it's it's had this ripple effect that's really been interesting to watch unfold over the last three weeks as we've gone, gone through the, the, the heart of this. Yeah, Dan, I wanted to touch on the transfer portal, uh, touch on that with you and what the future might look like if we can look into the future in terms of transfers, because what I'm hearing from coaches is they're really concerned with not having those kids present players uh, on campus involved in the program. So even if a player was thinking about transferring, at least they're still at a certain level of engagement with the program and still on campus. Uh, But now you're back home having those thoughts and feelings that you described and also having everyone in your ear, the noise of, Hey, that, that team's sorry already. And they're not playing you. So not, you know, now they're hearing all this, all this talk too, and just not being able to be around their, their players. Um, and yeah, I've been really concerned about what may be a spike in what already high numbers in that transfer portal year to now, when athletes are making these decisions, just like you mentioned. And also, uh, concerned about uh, coaches not having enough time to evaluate on their end and do really solid evaluations. Yeah, well, you know the the you mentioned sort of the time away and what that does to a current player on a team. Um, you know that certainly has the mental component. There's, and I think again we're seeing the activity that we're seeing in the transfer portal because kids are they have a second to sort of get away and think, wait a minute, did I really like it at that school? Did I really like the coach or the way that that was going? And they're reevaluating. Now, of course, we're not talking about the majority of athletes aren't switching schools, but we've seen a spike in activity in the transfer portal where I don't think we would have seen that normally uh, in, in normal times. But then you get into something, let's just, you know, talk athletically. You get into this really interesting problem of, you know, when, when all this gets reset and we get back to normal, athletes get back to campus, they've been hanging out at home for three months, four months, five months. What have they been eating? Have they been doing workouts? <laughs> you know, uh, How much have they forgotten about uh, the way we run our offense? How much have they forgotten about the techniques we just taught them over the winter of, of 2019, 2020? Those are real things too about just 
the ability for the instant reboot of college athletics, that's a, that's a real question that I don't think gets talked about very much, but you know, I know what I do on vacation when I don't follow my regular routine is I eat, I don't work out. And (laughs) these kids are at home and they're probably eating and they're probably not doing their workouts like they would if, you know, they had teammates to be accountable for and, and a coach on them. And so what, when they get back to campus, what is that going to look like? And that's something that I think there's, that's again, another one of those ripple effects that coaches are going to have to have to deal with that. I think the longer it goes on, the, the more of an issue that becomes and not that they can't have seasons, but are there going to be more injuries? Are there going to be, uh, you know, is the quality going to go down? It's just, that's one of the things that none of us know the answer to Odell because we've never been through this before. So we don't know, we don't have any kind of study or uh, model to go off of. Yeah, I was listening to Mark Stoops, the head football coach at Kentucky, talk about how they've really built a foundation of player development. I mean, it's been critical to their recent success. I mean, their guys get better because they they aren't able to go out and just cherry pick the top five star players in the country. So they've got to find those diamonds in the rough who get better. And this is such a critical time for their for for their program and right. his, his concern with with the exact same thing. When you're in the I want to label programs, but when you're in the middle of a of the pack of in your in your in your conference and you've really hung your hat on player development, re, yeah, re, really missing this time is uh, it's going to be interesting to see what 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 the repercussions are going to be. Well, and like you know, like you brought up, you know, Kentucky, great athletic program overall. Their football program trying to build up, and they've certainly shown some good progress. But they're not going to at this point immediately get those you know the same level of recruits as Alabama, and so they have to they have to go in and train them and they have to create that, that uh, you know, the ability to, to hang with a very tough, you know, competitive SEC schedule. And how do you do that when your kids are scattered to the wind and you don't have the same accountability and the same oversight? And I think that's kind of what coaches are, are starting to worry about, but there's nothing that they can do. And the other thing I'll say about all this that I've, I've tried to encourage coaches with is that this thing one of, if you want to say it's a positive out of this, for, for many, many programs, I would even say most programs around the country, is it levels the playing field quite a bit. That the existing structure of, you know, of, um, momentum and the way your programs were going or where your recruiting was going, all this, the, the, the gigantic re- reset but- button has been reset. And now your program is on the same level and can do the same things from a recruiting standpoint that a Kentucky or an Alabama or whoever your top competitor in your program was. It always used to beat you because they used to get kids to campus and they've got this new thing that kids are loving and and you don't have that on your campus. Well, now guess what? Everybody's doing a Zoom meeting. And so it's a chance for coaches and departments to do the little things better that will begin to separate them because kids still have to make a decision you still have to recruit as a program. It just is, you're going to have to change what ends up mattering to kids. And the, the programs that tell the better story and connect better remotely are going to be the ones that get, at least for this year, for this class, the next group of good prospects. Dan, were there practices that uh, programs were implementing in their recruiting prior to this that you see have put them in a position to really be successful and take advantage of, of this period uh, while others are trying to catch up. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, And the answer is yes. So what, look, so if you go back uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to explain the philosophy that we use with coaches that I see working. uh, And then, so the listener can take this, um, uh, and, and apply it to their own program. But we knew that from the research, the focus groups that we did with student athletes, that programs who uh, communicated regularly and laid out the story through a conversation repeatedly over and over and over and over again, uh, over time, over, let's say, a, an 8, 12, 15-month period as they were recruiting that prospect, they had the better chance to get an athlete to say yes at the end. 
Um, I say many programs, most programs take the approach of we're going to go out. We want to get them on campus. uh, We'll show them love. We'll get their commitment and we'll move on. So it's a very sort of 1990s way of approaching recruiting. And we saw it working less and less because these kids in this generation take in information and messaging completely different than kids from the 90s did. Uh, if I was, I mean, going back to when I was in college in the late 80s, uh, you know, you you really had to go to the school to understand what it was all about because there was really no other way to see it. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have uh, coaches that could text us. We, it, it was a different world. And now there is so much information coming at athletes. If you're not in that information loop, if you're not giving them that story, we all buy things on based on our story, whether it's the political party we we support or the shoes that we wear or the team that we root for. We've all told ourselves the story of why we like it that way and why that's right. And, and that's the way that we do it. Well, when coaches don't match that and they're having to go up against kids that are getting a nonstop stream of stories from, from Instagram and TikTok and text messaging, it just doesn't fit. So so all that to, to say, to answer your question, the, the coaches that have been engaged in, in short to the point messages that outline why an athlete should come and compete for them at their school really haven't seen much of a disruption in that. The disruption happens when you haven't been doing that and all of a sudden you can't bring them to campus and you can't uh, show up at their, their game to be seen. And that's how you were doing recruiting before. Now you have to scramble and invent this way of telling a story. So the coaches that before put into practice this idea that I'm going to be, I'm going to be giving them that stream of, of communication that, that answers two key questions for recruits. Uh, over the last couple of years, it has boiled down to these two questions that kids are trying to figure out as they're getting recruited. Number one, why should I come play for you? Number two, why are you or how are you better than my other choices that I have? And number two, it doesn't mean you have to negative recruit against other schools, but you need to explain why your school is better than most of their other options that they're going to be looking at. And number one's important because it's not give me all give me a list of all the stuff your school or your program has. It's tell me, coach, why should I come and compete there? Why, why you? And that's hard to do if all you're doing is showing up and watching a basketball game. It's hard to do if your only contact with them is that campus visit that you do. And the meeting that you have at the end of the campus visit with them as the coach, that's not enough information. Uh, not enough information for the parents to help in that decision as well. So the coaches and the programs that took this more comprehensive, multi-layered of, uh, approach to recruiting that is more t- time-consuming, but it's more way more effective um, they haven't really seen a shift in all this. In fact, a lot of those are the ones that got these commitments that happened at the at, when this crisis started. The kids knew that that's where they belonged because the story had been told to them. That's this is where you belong here. They see a reason to to commit because of the crisis, and they jump in and say, "Okay, I'm in. I, I want in." Because I didn't have to be sold on anything. I, I've been sold on this for a while now. So. You know, look, there are there are a lot of lazy coaches out there, not in terms of their work ethic when it comes to their sport or their passion for it. Uh, but when it comes to recruiting, recruiting has always been the thing that, you know, what, I'll do that later or eh, we'll just we'll, you know, send this thing out and that'll do it for this month. No, this is a generation that if you aren't interacting with them and if you aren't engaged and telling a story and giving them the reasons why and leading them into a decision it's going to be really hard for them to commit. So that's sort of the big thing that we saw happening uh, in the previous years leading up to this crisis. And now we're seeing the real benefits for the coaches that started that kind of a a routine and that kind of a philosophy. Um, Certainly it's disrupted. This whole thing has disrupted their flow and, you know, it's taken away campus visits, but there has been so much to help support the other stuff that it, um, it, it hasn't hurt them as much as I think some other coaches, at least in the conversations that I'm hearing and having. Uh, you can tell the coaches that are scrambling versus the coaches that have said, okay, well, look, it's going to tweak a little bit here, but we should be okay. Dan, you said something that I hope 
listeners uh, caught. And it's why I I love your approach to this. Uh, I had an old boss and mentor give me the definition of sales, uh, which I live by uh, today. And this definition is uh, of sales is the process of leading someone to a decision that's best for them. And the reason I love that is it is a process. We've got to have steps. And then we have to lead our prospects through those steps. And then I love a decision that's best for them because that's what in sales, it keeps me focused on the, the best interest of my prospect. And sometimes it's it's not in their best interest for us to move forward uh, together. Uh, sometimes it's not in my best interest, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know that, Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and, and that's what really keeps me focused on that end result. And I loved uh, you saying that, uh, and I know that's, that, that, that's a big cornerstone of what you do as well. And I hope coaches understand that that's what, selling really is. Right. It's not. And I think some coaches have grown up with this kind of outdated traditional idea that, you know, I don't want to be in sales because salespeople are slimy or they trick people into decisions or I don't want to force kids to do A, B, and C. And I'll respond to this coach that, you know, if it's a, I hear that a lot in, let's say, division three coaches or where you can't offer a full scholarship. And I'm saying, coach, your, your, your tuition is $51,000 a year. You can't trick or force anybody into paying that much money to come to your school. None of us <laughs> have that, that power. Right. Um, so, you, so you're off the hook. You're not going to force them. But what they're looking for, and they'll look for it after this crisis is over. So this isn't just something that we see happening during the crisis. They're looking to be led. They're looking for a reason. Why, why should I buy you? I always go back to the story I remember when we were – in the market for a new big screen TV, and I, you know, you go into Best Buy, you go into a big electronics store. What do you walk into over in the TV section? You know, four four levels high of TVs for fifty feet down one big wall, all different brands, all you know, all of the specs are on the top front of the TV, and you walk around like you know what you're doing, and you don't because you have to be an electronics expert to know exactly what you're looking for. And I walk in, and they all look the same to me. If I don't get help, if I don't have somebody you know, telling me or asking me, look, is this for gaming or are you going to watch sports? Okay, how far away are you sitting? Um, what about the sound? And if they don't lead me through that process, I wander around and I'm going to just make a random decision based on, well, um, I guess Samsung because I, you know, I, I, like their, I like the last TV from Samsung. Well, that could be the completely wrong choice, but uh, it's... It's the way that we make irrational decisions sometimes. Uh, you know, you you would ask my wife, why do you like, you know, why are you rooting for that team? Why well, I like the way the uniforms look. Well, okay, that's that's an irrational way to pick, you know, what team you're you're rooting for. But that's her way, and that's my way of buying a TV. Unless we are led to a decision, and that's really the coach's responsibility is explain why they should want it, and lead them towards that that decision and then get the decision. And if the decision is no, that's okay. You move on and you get to the next person on your list because you only have so much time to recruit a class. You only have so many roster spots. And so the coaches that are still, you know, well, we're just going to give them more time. We're just going to let them, you know, look at that, you know, two more schools because then they said they'd be ready. And meanwhile, four months ago, they had told you they were initially going to be ready and they still aren't. That's what destroys programs, and uh, my fear is that this, for the coaches who are struggling and not knowing what to do, this situation has um, has only added to the likelihood that their program is going to fail, and that's that's sad. But I mean, this is, look, it comes down, I think what many coaches understand after a while as a coach at the college level is it's about 10% of the coaching. And it's about 90% of all the rest of the stuff that you do to build the program and train and do all the things. It's not the coaching on the field. It's not the X's and O's part. It's all the stuff that leads up to that, that determines how good the program is and how good of a coach you end up becoming at the college level. Yeah, I hate it when I see coaches. You can tell that they're going to show how smart they are. <laughs> and I'm yeah. going to X and O our, yeah. our, our way to, to success. Yeah. Well, and look, I mean – my background is in football coaching and in our culture of, of football, 
you know, we're not doing as well as that other program and that other staff over there uh, spend 17 hours at the office. Okay, well, we're going to spend 19 hours at the office. And th- so our, our, our solution is we're going to just outwork everybody else. And at some point, that just doesn't work anymore. There, there's a, there's certainly you want to put the effort and the energy and the time into, into the program and your sport. And I get that. And there's elements of that that are really fun to do. But then there is this this diminishing return you get of additional thing of doing the same thing, um, uh, doing the doing the same thing over and over without really anything going forward. I, there was several seasons that I coached wide receivers in football, and one of the first things I would look for is their feet. How do they take off with their feet? Because what you are your instinct at the snap of the ball is to move your feet quick. And so what I saw is, and I would sometimes video it in slow-mo, and this is, you know, relates to recruiting and, and the way you develop your program is there was all this shuffling at the start as the, uh, as the, uh, the ball was snapped, but then you, you realize, and you point out to the receiver, you didn't make any progress. You are not any further down the field after three fourths of a second than you were at the snap of the ball. Your feet were moving, but you weren't going anywhere. And just because there's more action doesn't necessarily mean there is progress forward. And for a coach, that's so critical in their program is in everything that we do, whether it's recruiting or, or weight training or the meetings that we have, a longer meeting doesn't make it a better meeting. So there are, there are things that, that I think coaches, this, hopefully this time is going to cause them to readjust their, their look at how, they do their job and what parts of their program should they maybe de-emphasize from a time budget tra- uh, uh, resource allocation standpoint? And what are the other areas that they need to increase that are going to truly move the program forward? Dan, how do you work with programs and what, what does that look like when, when, when teams or, or athletic departments engage you and your team? So what we do is, first of all, I will say that uh, in the process that I'll, I'll explain, any coach can do themselves. It just takes, it takes a lot of time and they have a lot of other things to, uh, to, to handle and to, uh, to give attention to. So sometimes they just don't have the time to do uh, what we do. But you know, the, the process that I would want any coach to use and, and the process that we use is everything needs to be based on research. So if you're going to communicate. You're going to tell your story, as I've been talking about. You have to understand what athletes want out of that story. What I, as a 53-year-old, now former coach, uh, dad, uh, white male that lives in North Carolina, what I think is important to me in the way that I would make a college decision is irrelevant. doesn't matter what I want because I'm not selling to me. I'm selling to the athlete that I want to be attracted to whatever school I coach at, my program, my way of doing things. So the first thing I have to understand if I'm a coach that's going to execute a smarter recruiting strategy is understand what my athletes want. Now, a coach can ask the athletes that are coming in, what, how'd you make the decision? They can go through what went right, what went wrong, what should we do differently? We do that from a focus group standpoint before we start any project. Uh, and again, Relating it back to the coach, before you recruit your next class, understand what that class wants and what were the things that that could have been done better that, that that were done wrong. Why did you say no to other schools? Those are all questions that are relevant because once I know those things, then I can de- start to develop a story to tell around that and and I can get a direction of what I want a prospect to understand and how I want them to move down this path of decision-making. So what most coaches do in recruiting, we find is, uh, well, I've got these, these different letters about our college or emails. I'm going to send those out and hopefully they're, hopefully they attract the attention of a recruit and they come and visit and it all works out. And if that's the approach, most of the time it doesn't work out like that. The approach that we would use, and I would encourage a coach to employ, whether it's with us or, you're just on their own. Cause like I said, any coach can do what we do is then once I know, once I know where the target is and how to get to that target, I can then reverse engineer a way to get there. So what, again, most coaches do is I don't know what they want, but I'm going to throw all this stuff at them and maybe something will stick. I would encourage a coach to find out what sticks 
and then work backwards to figure out how do we get them to uh, to understand that. So if, for instance, the big thing about your program that you find through the research is the fact that uh, it's located right outside of a, of a, of a thriving major city, and uh, your program uh, is known for the way it develops athletes, uh, you just have a reputation for that. Okay, then am I going to spend a lot of time on how many acres campus is, or am I going to spend a lot of time on the new music building that we that we built because it's beautiful and I want to show it to you, but do we need to spend a lot of time doing that? No, I'm going to spend my time on explaining, look, here are the two things that really set us apart. Here's why you should want those things. And here's how all these other things around us that we have support the, the, you know, the overall feel of how it's going to be here. That's a much smarter approach. And in the same way that a coach would break down game video of an opponent to figure out a plan of attack, you're, you have that game video aspect of recruiting. It's called the kids you just brought in, or even the kids that said no to you. What if you were able to go to them and ask them questions? Hey, what, so what, what was the real reason now that you've made your decision? Congratulations on going to that other program, but we want to know what, what was it about us? That was the big thing that really, you know, was the big question mark in your mind. And so that's what we do. And then from there, um, you know, we, I think it's important for coaches to understand how to talk. Um, so a lot of coaches have their master's degrees, some have their doctorates, and they have never left a college campus. So they are very, I describe it as we all sort of learn to write those English term papers in high school and college. And here's your opening, you know, your opening paragraph. Here's your three main points. Here's your summary. And a lot of recruiting letters resemble that. And that's not how kids communicate. And they can tell that that was something, that was a message that probably got created and sent to everybody. So what we want coaches to do and what we then, once we have the research we do for them is to create the suggested text that goes out to their kids. So we have to write it a little more conversationally. There are communication trends that you can keep track of, just you know, Googling, doing a little bit of research on communication trends with teenagers will give you the building blocks of what you need to do to create a message. But we spend a lot of time exploring that, tracking that, so that when we put a message together and it just sounds better to the athlete, they get a response. And um, so we did a, we work with the football programs, uh, uh, non-Division One, and they, we started doing the same thing that I'm describing here uh, with you, Adele. Uh, they sent out, we developed a uh, text message that went out uh, through their system to about 2,200 recruits that, you know, for next year, they're going to start recruiting. And normally they would get, um, you know, somewhere between a four to 6% response. Uh, well, as of, you know, 48 hours after that campaign started, they had received 1,600 text messages back. Now, wow. it, it wasn't that they just recruited better kids and, or it was more the right fit. It was the language. So kids will either of all of us either react to language positively or negatively. And we'll, the way that it's said sometimes elicits a response. And sometimes you, we can say something that, uh, that will cause a kid to say, okay, well, I don't know how to reply. So I'm not going to reply because I don't want to look stupid in front of this coach so, you know, if you're ending your recruiting, you know, message with, you know, we're going, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be um, scouting you and coming to your events. And we would love to have a conversation with you in the future about becoming a, you know, a blah, 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 you know, whatever our mascot is and uh, keep up the good work uh, and let me know if you have any questions. I'm not going to, as a 17 year old kid, I don't know what to respond to no. that with. That's um, right. But on the, on you know conversely, if if that message, whatever part of that message we're trying to uh, to uh, uh, to to send or sell to that athlete, if we say so, look, you know those two things that I just mentioned uh, about my philosophy as a coach, do those match up with you? Can you just text me back real quick and let me know? Or if you have any questions, I, I you know, also you know ask me there because I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. Just want to make sure it's the right fit. So reply back when you get a chance. Okay, if that's that that message, if that's the text, we're saying maybe the same thing that we said more formally in the first one, but I'm open to response now because I prompted the response. I asked for it and I guided them into the response. 
So once we do that, then the responses come back in and now recruiting has really shifted. And then we move into sort of this third phase, which, you know, most coaches, um, this is where it gets, I think they either win or lose at recruiting, um, which is we have them on campus. They seem to be interested, but now what? And coaches after they show the campus sometimes don't know what to do. They, they well, I've shown them everything. I told them how many majors we have. They've met me. So why aren't they ready? Well, they're not ready because you're, they now have more questions probably than they did coming into the campus visit. And they may not, they may be trending away from you. Uh, so your job as a coach is to understand and recognize if they're trending away, can you salvage it? If not, you need to move on. Because if I call you two months later, I haven't heard much from you after the campus visit, and uh, I hear from my prospect, yeah, coach, yeah, we're just looking around, and you're still in my my top five, and I'm, I'm still thinking about you. A lot of coaches would hang up and say, good, good. They're still looking at us. They're still considering us. <laughs> right. What you and I know, Adele, is that that kid is not considering you because they're not showing the actions over the last 60 days of someone that is serious about you as a program. They don't want to tell you no. Because if it doesn't work out of the other four schools, I still might want a place to come play. But I don't – do I want that person as a coach? Do I want that kid on my team? And that's the part that then we also help coaches with is analyzing where are their coaches, where are their recruits going? Um, are they trending towards us? Are they trending away? And, and you know, it's, it's, it's fun to see. And I, maybe that's not the right word because it – we see other coaches struggling. And if we're working with a client, sometimes it's so easy for that other client to do the right thing because the other coach is doing the wrong thing. And sometimes we just get out of the way and let the other coaches do the wrong thing. And then our client ends up with that, uh, that prospect by default because we know what the right or wrong things are. And any coach, I think, instinctively knows what the right or wrong things are. But, but are you going to switch? Are you going to write a message geared towards your athlete and not something that sounds good to you, you know, as a 53-year-old guy. Um, if you're, if you're going to write it, if I'm going to write a message that would get me attracted to a college as a 53-year-old dad, I'm not going to get any 17-year-old kids to come and play for me at my college. Because it's not about what I want or what I think is important. It's about what they're looking for. And once I understand that, it's easier to write for it. And that's what sort of kicks the program off. Um, so that's that's sort of... The, the general process of what we do, but it's it requires us then as a staff to be on the phone all day with coaches or answering emails or creating messages or hey here's how you reply to this uh, this email or this text message um, ask the parent this and it's all about getting them down the road further and faster than the competition so that we win the recruit. Dan, I tell you, every time uh, we speak, I feel like there's another episode in there. But I want to ask this one quick question around around yeah. messaging. Do you yeah, think yeah. it's because we are afraid of the answer? I, I found this in sales. Sometimes I need to just send something. Yet, does this make sense to you? So mm -hmm. I, I like open-ended questions, but there are times when you're leading towards that close, you need to know some yeses or nos. Right. Um, and right. is it, I found that sometimes we're, we're afraid to ask that question we're, we're afraid of the answer. Oh, and absolutely. Look, it's far more comforting for me as a coach to look up, to lean back in my chair and look up at the whiteboard that I have behind the door and see my eight names at, uh, at the guard position that I'm, that I haven't taken off because they've all told me we're still in the mix. And I'm looking at the kid at the top of the list, and if I can just get her to commit, oh man, then we are going to be so good. So I don't want to, I don't want to screw that up. And so let's just be quiet because by being quiet, it's another day where I don't take somebody off the list, and I have hope, and life is good, and it's exciting. But then there's always that time of year where names are coming off the list very quickly, and the same kid that was going to tell you no four months ago now tells you no. Well, I don't have four months back. I can't go back in time. And so number kids, number two, three, and four, maybe they've committed. And now I have to really spend time on kid number five on my depth chart because she's the one that still hasn't made a decision, but I don't really want her. I wanted one of the top four. So, so I think there is this, this crisis um, that, that happens around recruiting and every coach listening to this, I'm sure there's a version of that, that they would, 
relate to or understand. There's always that time of year where you know kids are going to be coming off your list and you sweat it, but you don't have the, I'll say the, the, the courage or the confidence to, to earlier in the process, um, ask for a commitment. And if it's a no, take that kid off the list because look, my goal, if for a client, my goal is if, if you're recruiting four kids, well, I'm going to start with number one and I want their, what is their decision? And can we get them to a decision soon if we can't? And if it's obviously going to be no, they don't want the scholarship, they don't want the roster spot, whatever it is, then I want to politely say, it's been great recruiting you. I'm sorry. It's not going to work out here. You're going to play somewhere. Let me know where that is. Thanks. And we're moving on. Because if they let you do that, if they don't object to that, guess what? They don't care about you moving on. They were never coming to your school anyway. And so then I can get to number two sooner. So what we see these great programs doing is they recruit and get commitments very early. Why are they getting recruitment and uh, commitments early? Because they started the conversation and the story sooner, which means I was able then to, to really uh, confidently ask that athlete, so are you feeling like you're ready to commit? Because we know everything you need to know. And if it's a yes, then let's, let's okay, we want you. And are you ready? Yes, coach, I'm ready. Um, and those are the programs that build strong, strong classes. And the ones that wait and the ones that hope. And the ones that uh, don't want to pressure, and I don't want to die, especially like you pointed out, Adele, I don't want to get the no, because in sales, which every coach is, uh, is, is involved in, I don't want to get a no. No's suck, but they're necessary because you might, as a coach, say, you know what, every four out of 10 kids that come to campus or six out of 10 kids that come to campus, um, we get the commitment from them. So we have a very high success rate. Great. So wouldn't it make sense then to get kids to campus earlier? And and you have to uncover the four or five no's that you're going to get to get to the four or five yeses. And in some, in sometimes the ratios are lower. Sometimes every I might only get one kid out of every 20 conversations that I have uh, that, that results in a campus visit. And let's just say that, you know, there's, there's more people saying no to you than yes. Okay, great. Uh, you have to then get through all the no's to get to the yes. And most coaches don't like that. We don't like hearing no. We don't like being rejected in sales or in life or anything. And yet rejection is a fundamental part of college athletics recruiting. You're going to get way more no's. Our clients get way more no's than they get yeses. And But we have to get through those to find the yeses. And, and I wish coaches would take that approach. Certainly, as we talk about this crisis that we're going through nationally, it's more important than ever to do that because if you're hanging on to kids that secretly had, you know, were re rethinking their original leanings to a campus, to a college, and you're one of those that they're leaning away from, you have to know that now. You have to get that that conversation uh, going. And so that's that's one of the things that I mean, we talk about the the temporary coronavirus thing that we're going to be going through as a country. Well, the long-term crisis that a college goes through and a coach goes through in their career is to enjoy the coaching part. You got to be really good at the recruiting part. And there are several important components in recruiting that dictate whether or not that's going to happen. Well, if you are not at least subscribed to Dan's newsletter or following Dan on social media or listen to his podcast, the college recruiting weekly podcast, and you're missing out on getting better in your recruiting. And Dan, something I've learned uh, from you, and I'll close with this in my end part, uh, who's in control of your recruiting process? If it's not you, it's your prospects. Yeah. And and are they making good decisions, Odell? If a coach listening to this, do your, your prospects make logical, good, sound decisions? Um, nope. <laughs> they usually <Yeah>. don't. <laughs> um, they make emotional ones. They'll They'll choose a bad program just because um, they gave them a thousand dollars more in book money than you did, and that's how they're making their decisions. So, um, I appreciate what you said. And and look, I, the way I'll close this out is that every college coach has got to be on their game as they go through this. That, that take us out of it, take tutor collegiate strategies out of it. Understand how your kids are deciding to come to the school. Understand what they want to be told. Understand how you need to to get through a bunch of no's to get to a yes. That's just fundamental to building anything. And and most coaches haven't done that before the crisis. 
So use this time to restructure how you approach recruiting. If you're listening to this and figuring out what, what do I do during this time? Um, man, that, that changing the philosophy that you move forward with is probably one of the most important things that, that, that you can do during this time. Great. And Dan, having said that, how can coaches and administrators follow, connect, and, and work with you? Well, first of all, at Dan Tudor, D-A-N-T-U-D-O-R.com, there's a lot of free resources. Most of what we offer out is for free. Articles, research, our, our job in college athletics is to, is to uh, give you information that's going to help you recruit. Um, you know, there's, if you go on the website, there's everything from, from webinars to workshops that we can lead to the client work, the recruiting client work that we do. Um, which, uh, you know, which is, isn't free, but we feel like it's very low cost for what the results are. Um, and then if it's information, you know, there's a place on the website, you can sign up for the free Tuesday newsletter that goes out. There's also a, a daily subscription, uh, email and, and site that we have dedicated to people who want to subscribe. It's about 95 cents a day. And we go through all the latest research, for instance, during the coronavirus the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the trends that we're seeing and here's what coaches should do and what other coaches are doing to be successful. So a little bit more in-depth sharing uh, ideas back and forth with coaches uh, so they can do that. So there's a lot of ways to interact. And, and look, again, take us out of it. You, coach, you can go on Amazon, order any sales book, <laughs> anything, and it's probably going to help. Uh, your 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 skills of communicating because that's what sales is. It's just communication, like you pointed out, Adele. It's leading somebody to a decision, and you can get better at that. We can help you. Yeah, absolutely. You can find you know again any sales and communication or marketing book on Amazon is probably going to give you something that you're going to be able to use. So just invest in that part of your your coaching coaching profession. Uh, the X's and O's are the fun part. It's this other stuff that ends up determining whether you're good or not. And I know we're going to get through this. And uh, from listening to you, Dan, we're all going to be better uh, during this and uh, and when we come out of it. So, Dan, thanks again for being a guest again on Beyond the Whistle. Can't wait till number four. Number four is going to be awesome. I just know it. We're going to do it. <laughs> thanks, Dan. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Adele. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Whistle. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. It's the best way to stay updated on the newest episodes. Beyond the Whistle is a production of McCant Sports, a sports executive search and talent solutions firm. To learn more about McCant Sports, visit McCantSports.com. 